Hey, thanks so much for uh, joining us on Crisis of Faith podcast today. Uh, we are a good little bit into a conversation already about heaven and hell. If you did not hear the first half of the conversation, it's the previous podcast episode. Um, I would highly suggest checking that out. Uh, it was a whole lot of um, just me saying, I don't like it, uh, and Joe saying, yep, me either. Uh, so, But we kind of arrived at a place where it doesn't really matter, especially to you, the listener, uh, the evangelical church community all around us and the churches that we're a part of. It doesn't really matter if we like it or not. It matters what we're supposed to, it matters what's true. It matters, and if we believe what is true comes from the scriptures, then uh, it matters what the scriptures actually say. Uh, so in today's episode, we're actually going to start looking at what is the story, what is the narrative of of heaven and hell that's actually given to us in the scriptures. What what does Jesus actually say about it? What does he mean? What do the writers, what, what kind of images are they drawing on? Um, and so hopefully we can start to give you a, a new picture. If you're at the place where you'd kind of say, I kind of want to believe something else. I don't think I believe what I say I believe. Um, but I also, I don't want to leave the Bible. Well, you're in luck because what you believe might not actually be what the Bible says. Uh, let's get into it today. Joe, you there? I'm here. So, what does the yeah. Bible say about hell? About hell. So, people, the thing that people say to me all the time that I remember hearing growing up a lot is that Jesus said more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. Mm hmm. Um, I've heard that. Yeah. So, if, if you're going. Except for whenever we were talking about giving, then. Jesus said more about money than anything else in the Bible. But oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I heard oh, that any thing other topic. Yeah, I was thinking about um, that Jesus said more about hell than any other person. Oh, any other person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know about the number of topics that Jesus talks about. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> but it, it is true if you're going by the word hell, uh, the, word, the word Gehenna in Greek, which is translated as hell in English, um, it gets used 12 times in the New Testament. Uh, one of them is in James. James says that the tongue can be like a fire set ablaze by Gehenna, by hell, right? Yeah. And 11, the other 11 are on the lips of Jesus. Jesus is the only person talks yep. about hell at least in in those words other writers you know talk about other things but um jesus is the only one who talks about hell and so does jesus but, use um let me ask a couple of questions at the outset yep. just so we don't so we don't gloss over that too quickly um the first time i ever heard this and i was well advanced in my years had read the bible for myself three or four times from cover to cover, read the New Testament multiple, multiple times. And I was probably 26 or 27 years old when I was told when Jesus said hell, he actually said Gehenna, <laughs> whenever. That's right. Um, and and I'm, I know we're going to get into a little bit of like what that means and what, what does he mean, but just I don't want to gloss over it too quickly. That could be earth shaking uh, for some people that Jesus doesn't say um, throw your eye into hell as you imagine it. He doesn't say gouge out your eye and throw it into hell. He says throw it to Ge to Gehenna, um, or is it the the Hinnom Valley? Yeah, that's right. Is another Gehenna, way of possibly translating. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Gehenna means the Valley of Hinnom. Um, it's. Or the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom, possibly. It's a it's a real place. You can go there, yeah. even now. Uh, you if you don't visit. have faith in Jesus? <laughs> you can go there even if you do. You can go there before you die. <laughs> right now, today, you can go visit. Uh, well, probably not today. There's, you know, coronavirus restrictions. You'd have right. to international flights and all that. But you can visit this place. It's a real place. Um. 
Yeah, so the, like the the funny thing about that is I'm going to do a bomb sound effect whenever you said that. Cuz again, <laughs> you're saying these things as someone who is is so far along in this journey and has known it, but I'm just like I don't know that the average evangelical sure. Christian knows that when Jesus says throw your eye to hell, he means that valley over there that we might even be able to <laughs> see right. the that we might even be able to see it from where he's standing yeah. and talking whenever he says that. Right. Throw, gouge out your eye and throw it over there to that place. Yeah. Yeah. It, that it's, it is stark when you say it that way. It's like, yeah, it's, it really changes the picture, the mental picture that you get when you read the passages. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. From, from like the maze that you're walking through covered in black tarp, that's 82 degrees and people are screaming <laughs> to, you know, to, a, it's a different, it's a different thing. Yeah. It's a valley. Um, so, like, the funny thing about that to me, about, like, g- people saying, well, Jesus said more about hell. What they meant in saying that was, well, Jesus himself said this. Like, this came right from the horse's mouth. So right. you have to believe everything that I'm getting ready to tell you about hell. <laughs> but, like, what they don't talk about is, well, what did Jesus mean when Jesus talked about hell? Right. It's just... Jesus said this word that we translate hell, and so and that serves my you purpose. You should here. believe everything that I'm going to say about it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, like, okay. So, first of all, Gehenna is um. It does get used a few times in the Old Testament, although there it's usually trans. It's not well. No, it's not Gehenna because that's the Greek word. But the place, the Valley of Hinnom. Um, does come up a couple of times. There's a a wicked king, Ahaz, who sacrifices his son, his sac- like child sacrifice, uh, sacrifices his son to the Canaanite fire god, Molech. This is in the Bible. You can read about it, 2 Chronicles 27, 28, something like that. Um. And we we do know from other like out extra biblical sources that this was a thing that um, the Canaanite fire god Molech had a, a temple shrine in the valley of Hinnom where he mm. received child sacrifices in fire. Um, and the prophet Jeremiah talks about this. It's um, do you know what the word is there? How how does it get translated? I, it gets translated as the Valley of Hinnom or the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. Okay. In in Second Chronicles in our and English, Jeremiah. In, in English translations of the Bible, it actually will show up as the Valley of Hinnom. Yeah, that's right. And Jesus' so listeners Jer- would hear him referring to something that they would have known from their scriptures they, in the exactly. way that you're talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah, they would, have known, they would have known these stories about this Valley of Hinnom is the place where where Molech receives child sacrifices in fire and where Jeremiah condemns, particularly they they would know, I mean, Jesus is really interested in the book of Jeremiah. He likes to quote from it a lot, um, sort of sees his ministry through that lens a lot. And Jeremiah twice, um, I think once in chapter seven and then once like toward the end of the book, like, explicitly condemns this place as uh, you know a place of it's the place of death and fire and um and burning up and so when jesus talks about gehenna it's really i think a foil for the other the thing that he probably does talk about most often is the kingdom of god right yeah. which is this uh the whole point of this whole story of of the people of Israel are the, the ones through whom the life giving energy of God is going to be dispensed to the world. And Jesus says that stuff, that mission of God's life going out to the world that culminates with me, right? Starts with in the very beginning with the tree of life. And there are four rivers that take, take this out to the whole world. Uh, Jesus says that culminates in this kingdom that I'm building um, this is the center of God's life flowing to the world. And the foil for that is this valley of death. Hmm. Um, 
And so fire imagery, of course, is going to be associated with it. It's Molex Valley, the, the fire god. Right. Um, but this is what... That, this is the thing that Jesus talks about. Let's. I feel like there's a question there. Let's stop. I think there's more yeah. to say about Gehenna, but um, a moment. Um, let's pause for a moment on this. And what do we have to say, possibly, to 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 the thinker, to the Christian, who would say, "Yeah, that's what hell is, and this is the best metaphor for it." Um, yeah. That. That, I think, you know, all of the language surrounding the Valley of Hinnom aligns so well with the paradigm of eternal conscious torment happening somewhere beneath the surface of the earth or whatever the whatever the other realm of hell actually is. It was like, well, then it just ends up being, okay, well, Jesus uses that as an example. Uh, we would maybe use a different example um, of, of somewhere that we think of, like, hell like probably somewhere in the middle of florida i don't know <laughs> in the I'm california just, wildfires we might say right california wild no i was just thinking of somewhere i don't want to be oh <laughs> we like california we don't like florida yeah, sure. we're the media sure. joe uh this got it <laughs> where have you been um or like an arby's uh or <laughs> <laughs> i i got to say just go ahead and say i it. really i i like an Arby's mozzarella stick. That's my. It's okay. That's my guilty pleasure. That's okay. It with really me. is. Yep. Well, so, sin has a way of are... sin has a way of work, working it, weaseling its way into our lives like that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um. So, you understand the question I'm asking, though. What What do we do yeah. with the idea that we're, what we're hearing here is like, okay, well, Jesus uses an example of a place where, you know, people literally did get burnt up. Uh, they literally did have evil like sacrifices and like there is there there literally are animals there gnashing their teeth and fighting over garbage scraps and like yeah sounds like hell so pretty good metaphor jesus that's a good one to use i see why you use that word um yeah i think that's right i mean i think that that is i i do think that's what jesus is doing right he is using this place as a metaphor for something else but look at how he uses the metaphor. Okay, here's, I'll read you, this is Matthew ten twenty eight. Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna, in hell. Yeah. Now, that's a different picture than the one you and I grew up with where people are for all of eternity consciously being burned alive. Jesus is talking about people being destroyed, burned up, yeah, gone, right? Um, it's the same word, by the way, that word destroy is the same word as John 3.16. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish shall not be destroyed uh, but have eternal life so life uh, the eternal by the way is um, the word is probably best translated as of the age of the age to come yeah so those who are given the life of the age to come are sort of the opposite of those who are destroyed you know we started talking about judgment that that if you're a person who's been in um under the yoke of oppression and slavery um you're ready to hear the good news that you're ready to hear is that somebody's coming to break the yoke of slavery to set the captives free right this all this stuff that jesus says to you know to declare the year of the lord that the the captives are set free um and and that means killing the captors, right? That means that means yeah. destroying Pharaoh's armies, drowning them in the sea. That means like that's that's what that image is about. But it's not it's not eternal conscious torment. It's dead and gone, burned up, burned away. Um 
Yeah, very good. I mean, that's a that's an important an important distinction, a really really important place to land. And even if we talk about fire, even the imagery of fire is like, well, fire burns until there's nothing left to burn. <laughs> right. Like fire has an expiration point. Yep. Um, always. So, and that is probably, I mean, I, I don't know this for, for sure, but it's probably the most common um, element associated with whether we're talking about Hades, Gehenna, what's the other one? Tart, Tartuga, Tartuus, Tart, whatever <laughs> that, yeah, Tartus. they're, they're all, you know, fire is the prevailing um, element image and, uh, yeah. and fire burns until it doesn't have anything to burn. Yeah, so there's um all right, there's a great book um by a guy named Edward Fudge. Cool name. That's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> um so Ed Fudge is a really conservative evangelical. Just to be clear, are you censoring his actual name? <laughs> For the sake of I'm the not. Podcast. That's his real name. F U D G E. Fudge. Ed Fudge. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I thought you were being Christian. <laughs> um, so he's a, he's a concern. He's a church of Christer. Like these are the most conservative kind of evangelical Bible folks that you can, that you can get. And, and he is. Um, and so he has a great book, very controversial for his community um, called, the fire that consumes and this is a big fat book with a hundred thousand footnotes of every place in the bible that it talks about the the destiny of human beings um if you're interested in the book and don't want to dig through all of that but want the material there's a smaller version of it that i think is called the last word about hell or something like this um we could put it in show notes yeah there you go we can link so anyhow I'll just, I'll run through a little bit of what he, but his idea. So he says, you know, we have this picture of a fire that, that torments, right? This eternal conscious torment fire. That's not in the Bible. What you have in the Bible is a fire that consumes. That's where the title of the book comes from. The fire that burns things up. Um, and so you have, here's a, like a great classic example a, a go-to text for people when they talk about hell is Isaiah 66. Um, this is so Isaiah is talking about the, the coming kingdom of God. He doesn't use that language. He's talking about the, like the restoration of Israel. And he says, and they will, they shall go out and look at the dead bodies. This is Isaiah 66, 24. They shall go out and look at the dead bodies of people who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Right? That unquenchable fire. But what are they looking at? It's dead bodies. Right? Yeah. It's not people. It's not like the things that we watched in Judgment House, where people are there screaming, being tormented consciously. These people are dead. They're burning up dead bodies. It's a funeral pyre. Yeah. Um, that's, you see the same thing in Malachi. Uh, this is Malachi chapter 4. See, the day of the Lord is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, you shall go and leap like the calves of the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they are ashes under the soles of your feet. Right? They are gone. They're burned up. They're ashes under your feet. Um, I mean, and this is, like, people say that the Old Testament doesn't talk about hell, doesn't have a picture of hell, and that's true. It doesn't. There is no picture of hell, but the Old Testament has tons of stuff to say about what will happen to the wicked, the oppressors, when when God's judgment reigns upon them? Like, they'll perish, they'll vanish, they'll be destroyed, they'll be broken to bits, they'll be slain, they'll be cut off, blotted out from the book of the living. Um, 
like chaff blown away or like smoke that vanishes or water that like all of these images are about they're no more. Yeah. Um, and that's judgment language. That's not eternal punishment language. That is judgment language. Um, and yeah. that is there. If this is that, that's the language that essentially says, if this is how you're going to be, then you don't get to be. That is yeah. a judgment. Yeah, um, exactly. That that's no longer. We're not talking revenge plot here. We're talking judgment. Um, and I I think we arrive at now. Still, uh, not great. Uh, still, for those who are on the wrong side yeah. of judgment, um, certainly great for the future of humanity, the future of uh, the planet as we know it. Uh, that that there is some sort of plan to get rid of those who who would wreck it, uh, who who would seek to to mess it all up. Um, but also we're arriving at a, a more palatable, um, version of these things. There is a conclusion. There is not eternal, eternal conscious torment. There is, um, I've heard it said this way. One of the people I like to listen to a lot, um, Bruxy Cavey is a pastor in Canada somewhere. Um, real strange, fun dude. Um, yeah, I don't listen to people in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair. Uh, I get it. They're all high, as far as I know. Um, <laughs> but one time when Bruxy got high, he made the statement, <laughs> um, there's a difference between punishment and punishing. And mm-hmm. the scriptures do not use punishing uh, in when, when talking about um, eternal matters of judgment. There is a punishment language there is this is done and then it's done this right. is judged and then it's judged not a not an eternal judging not an eternal punishing but a punishment um yeah that's useful and that was elmer fudd yep that's the one elmer <laughs> fudd's ideas <laughs> Ed, edward edward fudge Edward Fudge. Uh, I think it's going to be a recurring part of this podcast of me trying to come up with the funniest possible um, <laughs> mishearing <laughs> of the name of the person yeah. that you're quoting. Um, uh, yeah, that's useful. Eternal yeah, conscious think, torment, I mean, not a thing. Honest, I don't even think it's, um, you know, if this is just sort of a sense that I have of the text. Um, less than a a thing I can point to specifically. When you read about God's judgment in especially in Old Testament texts, you know, it's it's God's judgment on these nations and it doesn't feel like God is punishing them because God cares about them, right? Yeah. It's more like a rescue mission for my people, right? I'm going to rescue and redeem Israel and I'll knock out whoever I need to on my way. Right. Um, and that's kind of like, that's, that's the sense that I get of the text. Yeah. Right? This me death too. Language is really about life for my people language. Yeah. Um, you know, which is all sorts of different problematic that we can talk about later. <laughs> right. I think we're going to have to at some point. Yeah. Um, but this is also just uh, maybe this does okay to put a little bit of a balm over it. Um, all the people who heard Jesus whenever he showed up and actually said that it was through the Jewish people that redemption would come to the world, that that, that God was actually coming to save the world, uh, you know, this really upset a lot of them because they read the same Old Testament we did. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and th- they they heard what you just said. They're like, uh, yeah, I think really the point here, though, is that God wants to save us from those people. Um, God wants to God wants to help um, those that matter the most to him, which is us. And um, and Jesus was the one who actually came to say something else, possibly something bigger and broader than that, that there's actually a trajectory that doesn't end in the Old Testament. So, yeah, that language. it's not something new, right? This is from from the very beginning. Uh, God's call to Abraham is that through you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Exactly. Right. 
And it was a long and winding story that that went through periods of, you know, God having to, um, you know, to break some heads in order to to yeah. uh, maintain a, a people who would be a blessing for the nations. And Jesus says that stuff culminates in me. Uh, but it's not like Jesus is making up something new. Right. Right. This is the story that we've been telling all along. It's just that the people that Jesus was speaking to and most of the people that you and I speak to today, we get caught somewhere in the detail of the story and we forget the larger picture. Yeah. We, we always want to land at a place. And this is where, you know, this is a what I think it was the first podcast we had. We talked about a good news that really isn't good enough. Um, we, we constantly land at a place where our good news is only articulated through our eyes. Like, that's not good news for humanity. That's good news for you. Um, <laughs> right. and, or at least you think that's good news for you. Uh, and, yeah, it's easy to see how you have a, an ancient people uh, in, in the, the Hebrew people that would have a very similar conception of these things and that Jesus would have to say, no, remember, <laughs> remember uh, God's promise to Abraham. Remember salvation is coming through the Jewish people for the entire earth. Um, yeah, I like where this is headed. Fix the rest of hell, Joe. <laughs> well, okay. So a couple, I mean, I think we talked about some Old Testament passages. I think you get the same kind of thing in the New Testament. You know, we've already said that the only person talking about hell, using that word that we use, the word Gehenna, that gets translated as hell in English is Jesus. Um, but most I've of the recently, can I just say I've recently yep. refused to use the word hell anytime it says anytime it says hell in my Bible, like even for my church, and it's it's a little upsetting yeah. to people. But we I replace it now. It's like Gehenna. Yeah, because there's yeah. it all, it says hell, and then there's an asterisk that says look at the bottom, and the bottom says Gehenna, and so I won't say it anymore. And it's really interesting to see people's heads turn. They're like, mm, that's not what I remember it saying. It's like, well, it's not <laughs> yeah. what it ever said. Yeah, there's just no no relation. It's such a terrible English translation. There's no relation between the picture of Judgment House and the black tarps and the 82 yeah. degrees and <laughs> and the Valley of Hinnom. It's just, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Um, but, you know, words are like that, right? Like, words come to take on, you know, we're talking, this is a, this word has a 2,000 year history now. Um, and like words take on different meanings and that's why we have to update translations all the time because <laughs> yeah. they, they just don't mean the same thing. Um, so, but other people, you know, in the new Testament do talk about like, you know, John the Baptist starts off talking about the wicked will be burned up like chaff. Right. Um, James and Paul both talk in terms of death or destruction. Uh, the writer of Hebrews we already mentioned talks about a fire that consumes, burns things up. Um, the two primary images that from the Old Testament that get picked up in the New Testament are in terms of like this kind of stuff are the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. So both okay. stories from Genesis of like mass destruction, um, you see that in Jude and Second Peter and some of these kind of um, where you you get like some of the traditional language that we get about hell, fire and brimstone, eternal fire, um, you know, Revelation's lake of fire. All of these are um, are like callbacks to those stories in Genesis to Sodom and Gomorrah and to to the flood narrative like they have they they copy the kind of language they're drawing on this imagery um and again in both of those instances the the point is that things have been destroyed 
burned to the ground, flooded away, wiped away. So like even, you know, eternal, we talk about, um, you know, eternal punishment or eternal fire. Um, you can think about this as the way that we were taught about it is that it's eternal in duration, right? It goes on forever and ever and ever. That's why the people sit and scream um, in hell when you're walking through judgment house because they're being eternally consciously tormented forever. Um, but that's not the only way to think about that. Um, in fact, it's, it's impossible in, in at least one instance in second Thessalonians, um, the writer of that book talks about eternal destruction. Well, a thing can't be being destroyed forever, right? Because yeah. then it's never destroyed. <laughs> um, so if you have eternal destruction, what you mean is it was destroyed and it remains destroyed forever, right? So not yep. eternal in duration, but eternal in consequence. Yeah. Uh, so what I want to suggest is that this language of eternal punishment, eternal fire, um, that that it's about the things that the images that it is drawing on are about something being burned up, being flooded away, being destroyed forever. It it's euphemistic for capital punishment, right? Mm-hmm. For destruction that lasts forever, not that goes on forever, but that the the consequences of it last forever. Um, yeah, yeah, and again, just to throw another just kind of example on that i mean if you if capital punishment's a perfect example like a lethal injection is permanent um gone that person uh is no longer among us it doesn't they don't they don't get lethal injected forever <laughs> it's not a lethal injecting yeah, right. uh even though the the consequence of it is a permanent like they're no longer here um it does not mean that the actual experience of the injection has to continue forever or that it even could logically it's not even an option so where i think a lot of this stuff comes from this is the last thing i'll say about this and then i have some more speculative things about the bible that i think would be worth talking about um so in um in Hebrew cosmology, anthropology, um, which I think is also true of the New Testament, we don't have immortal souls that just exist forever in their nature. Um, that's a Greek... The, the idea of an immortal soul is a Greek philosophical concept that comes to us from Plato. Um, it gets read by you know as christianity expands into the greco-roman empire uh it becomes a very like integral part of christian early christian theology after the new testament and it gets read back into these texts and i think that's where we get a lot of this thinking of souls being tortured forever Um, it comes not from the bible itself but from platonist philosophy but if you look at like I mean, here's a verse that everybody knows, right? Here's Romans 6. The wages of sin is what? It's death. Dead and gone. And the foil to that, the, the other side of that, is the gift of immortality, the gift of eternal life. Right. Um, so it's not that we all live forever and there's we're going to choose one place to do it. It's no. God offers to the redeemed the gift of living on forever uh, and the other side of that is death yeah yeah i mean this that that seems so succinct i mean so so clear to say like well how could you have life forever and death uh and, and death is not forever like uh <laughs> that's kind of the only way you can have it <laughs> yeah, right yeah <laughs> life life can go on death is a finishing point um yeah, so I want to hear what else maybe you have to say about this, and then maybe I, I have a couple of questions about what the well, I've been talking practical a lot. applications. Why don't we do the, your, let's do your questions first. 
Yeah, well, I'd like to just um, address, and you interject here because th- these were these were your notes and your thoughts, but I, I think um, a few things to be said. What what does this actually mean, sort of practically? Um, so what happens when a sinner, an unrepentant sinner, dies um, if, if we are to accept? And I don't think this is the only alternative to the eternal conscious torment um, suggestion of hell. Um, but it seems that we're, we're offering a, a version of hell that is essentially a, a permanent state that doesn't have to go on forever. So we're offering an eternal uh, punishment not an eternal punishing um, as an alternative. The question that I would like to just sort of address pragmatically, I feel like we should say um, Joe is way more educated than I am, uh, and, and I, but I've been a pastor for 20 years, but neither one of us know what happens after you die. Uh, so <laughs> just a disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> um, sure. But let's theorize um, with these new things what happens to an unrepentant sinner who dies unrepentant uh, in this with this new worldview if they're not eternally consciously tormented by God in the basement while I'm partying it up in a mansion in the sky um, what does happen to them yeah so okay so um, I'll say this first I I don't believe in hell <laughs> I don't uh, I'll say this because I like my job's not on the line about this and I'm not going to get in trouble from anybody except my mom. Um, like I don't, I don't believe in hell. I don't think anyone will go there. Um, but I think that overwhelmingly, (laughs) overwhelmingly the picture that the Bible gives is that they will die. An unrepentant sinner will die will die and there's all kinds of language for that about being burned up like chaff or blown away or you know whatever but the idea is that they're dead and gone and forgotten okay i think that's what the what the bible by and large says i think there's some minority reports um there's no place that i know of where you get a picture of eternal conscious torment but there's some other more hopeful maybe minority reports yeah uh, uh, well, while we're while we're doing the confessing, I would say that I probably land in a similar place um, that the unrepentant sinner. I will, you know, maybe we'll get into this. We'll see if it if it is interesting enough, and if there's actually enough scriptural material to go. I don't necessarily believe that an unrepentant sinner who dies without ever having, without ever hearing of Jesus, without ever seeing Jesus clearly, and even perhaps if they had seen, you know, heard the name of Jesus, but it was not presented in a way that was true to who Jesus is, you know, the examples of, um, uh, let's just keep it simple, um, if someone was uh, held as a slave for their entire life by a Bible-quoting, you know, air-quote Christian slave owner um who who quoted constantly who told them about jesus and that slave dies with the only image of jesus being their oppressor and their captor um i i land in a place where those people have an opportunity to see jesus for who he truly is um i I land in a place where if every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there's got to be some sort of opportunity for every knee and every tongue to, uh, for every eye to witness who Jesus actually is and then to make a decision. Ultimately, I still think that those who would say, yeah, I see who Jesus really is and I don't want anything to do with that, um, that an actual demise, um, all the language that we've been using so far, is is cool with me i i think i i do land there that the scriptures do appear to teach well you can't come in heaven like that you can't be a part of heaven without acknowledging that jesus christ is lord so you but you can cease to exist um that you can choose again love requires free will requires the opportunity for you to choose you can choose to to die for good um once and for all so that that's where i kind of Anyways, that, that addressed that pretty well um, from your perspective and, and hopefully from mine too. What happens if this is how we read it? 
then what does happen after you die? Uh, yeah, unrepentant sinners cease to exist. Uh, it seems that the scriptures would teach that. Uh, other questions? I did take down a question because I've been reading um, uh, Heaven and Hell by Bart. I want to say Bart something. Airman. Bart Airman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there was an interesting question that was raised about this. This is a little less a little less deep, um, but just something that, because uh, you mentioned Plato here recently, and the Greeks had a, an interesting conundrum that they arrived at where they thought that the soul, um, they were the first people to sort of think that all souls continue to, to exist forever, or at least I think yeah. that's what they... They, they might have been the first to, to, sort of, to essentially believe that. But they arrived at the conundrum of, well, how can we have this imagery of punishment without a body? Uh, because they believed that your body would, would disappear. And then, it, I, you know, it just got me thinking about, like, yeah, all of the imagery that I have of hell involves, like, you know, pulling my fingernails off and burning my flesh and all of that. And do you right. get to keep flesh and... <laughs> <laughs> like, do you experience physical suffering, physical pain? Uh, and But that, again, it's pretty easy to refute and pretty easy to address from the other side. Um, but we still have to kind of acknowledge, I think, that the language is still, the language that we use to talk about hell is mainly physical. Like a physical, when we say eternal conscious torment, we're mostly talking about physical pain yeah. to a soul. Um, which there again was just a, an interesting little other hole in the, the things that we seem to refute. We don't want to talk about how logically and rationally a lot of what we say we believe doesn't exactly hold much weight. Um, yeah, you'd have to have a resurrection of the dead for both the, the redeemed and the damned, right? Yeah, Which exactly. some people do say. That's the bigger point, yeah. Some people that, do say, yeah. Yeah, that you would have to be, God would have to resurrect the dead so that he could torture them. Yeah, um, right. Which, again, if that's what he wants to do, I, I, at this point in the podcast, I don't want to make decisions for people. If that's what you want to believe, that's fine, but let's just acknowledge that that's what we're believing. We're saying you die an unrepentant sinner and then God raises you from the dead one day so that he can start tormenting you for eternity. <laughs> um, it seems odd. Part, part of me is like getting to a place where I don't... I think this question gets subsumed into like... If God created the, if God is the, the creator and the redeemer of the universe, that's like fourteen billion years old, right? And like, God's been actively involved in this, um, in this thing, in this project. Like, it doesn't. It just doesn't hinge on the question of like where do human beings go when they die. It's like, you know, Paul's like, no, you don't get it. Like the whole creation is groaning and awaiting right. its redemption. Like it's just bigger than than that. And oh, so screw all of creation, Joe. What about me? <laughs> um, no, I hear you. Yeah. Like, I. That's why I don't. I don't think about hell anymore because I'm thinking about this like much larger thing that gets swept up that we get swept up in um, where the redemption of humanity is is part of God's overall a small part, maybe even of God's overall plan for God's creation. You see, if, if the Bible were written for something for a purpose other than to communicate that what you just said, other than to communicate that there is a there is a redemptive plan um, for all of creation, not just all of humanity. Um, if it's written for the express purpose of teaching people how to go to heaven and not to hell, 
then fire me now, people. It's not written very well because we <laughs> arrive at so many different, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if that's the yeah. point, if the point is a roadmap to teach you how to get saved, um, then God, why is it not like a whole lot more clear? Why is yeah. it a mystery to be solved? Why is it so, why is it so big? <laughs> why is the Bible so big? <laughs> it seems like <laughs> right. I could cover it in about, I could cover it in 200 words, I think. Uh, we, I could get it in under a page. Tracks that, that, yeah, uh, yeah. You, and so many people Drew do. Moss we, and I used to go to, the, to Walmart uh, and we would, we would Drew Moss, who is the, a world-renowned Bible translator now. That's right. He is now, a listener all over the world. Famous Bible translator. <laughs> um, we used to go to Walmart in Beckley, West Virginia, and we would slide uh, tracks like Romans Road tracks down into the cases of Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because the Hellions self-select by by Budweiser. <laughs> that's, that's true. I think you know Something that might I be still fair though. To this day, because Christians yeah. drink craft beer. Um, exactly. Now, even now, I'm 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 still on the on the boat of like, yeah, well, yeah. Hellions, yeah, Budweiser, absolutely. that makes sense to me. Uh, yeah. That checks out for my personal experience. But the point is, you can if you want the roadmap, you can fit it easily in, in yeah. between two cans of Budweiser. There's just I, I'm just sincerely, I, I'm just like if that's what the Bible is about, then what's with all the other stuff? And why is it not clear? It's almost like it's almost like I would imagine God, Jesus getting to heaven, and God. This is an, an example. I'm guessing I'm going to use a couple of times about various things. I've used it for several things for years now. That Jesus would get to heaven, and God would say, "Oh, you forgot to tell him the sinner's prayer. You forgot to tell him. Uh, you kept saying Gehenna. There's going to be." Uh, crazy you know people who are going to read into it later on and they're going to say that hell is actually like a real place because you kept using a real place like it just seems that jesus would get to heaven and god would be like you got to go back and you got to make it a little clearer for them so if these so that they'll know that the whole purpose of the book was to get them saved from hell and you got to say hell um you got to say the right the right word for it um you got to tell them eternal conscious torment waits on this this side of this decision and you know eternal life waits on that side of the decision you got to make it clearer the fact that it's not clearer than than it is and and i would challenge anyone and i don't mean that in a an aggressive and violent way but i would just say if it is that clear to you and I know there's a couple of places where we could quote Paul on it. Paul said a few a few moments where he says something that seems a little more succinct and a little more like believe this, you know, confess this and and you'll be saved from it all. But just at the end of the day, like that's kind of a footnote in a letter that Paul wrote after Jesus that Jesus never said exactly the same thing. There's just too many there's too many other things happening um, for it to be about that. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to arrive at this book. This story is about a much, much larger narrative than what happens to me after I die. Um, as, as difficult that is, as that is to swallow, but also there's also a little bit of peace, I think to be found in, in, in starting to swallow that like, huh? So if I'm not the center of all of the universe, then a little bit of the pressure is off. Then Jesus's constant teachings to not worry and not fear start to make a little more sense because he's kind of like, yeah, you. I mean, you matter. God loves you, but also it doesn't exactly hinge on you either. Like it's not it's not all about you. Uh, there's there's a peace to be found in that. Like, yeah, Jesus, how sure. could you tell us not to worry? We might go to heaven. We might go to hell. We might like and then you're going to say, but don't worry about tomorrow. Like, no, it's Jesus saying, yeah, it's not about you. Quit. Don't worry about it. As if your worrying could change anything. Well, let me give you one text that um, sort of, you know, I, 
I think I've said, and, and I'll reiterate, I don't, I don't know that I buy this, but I think the Bible overwhelmingly talks about the judgment of the wicked being death and their end. Um, not eternal conscious torment, but they're, they're dead. But let me just give you one or two texts that sort of just drop a seed for me that kind yeah. of blows up into something in my mind. Um, so the first one is First Peter, where he talks about First Peter three nineteen, which talks about that Christ, um, having died on the cross, goes in spirit, descends to the realm of the dead, descends to hell to preach to the captives there. Um, yeah. If you're a mainline Protestant or a Catholic or Orthodox, you you say this every week in the creed, right? He descended to hell. Um, but it's there in the Bible. And why why are you preaching <laughs> to a people who are whose decisions have been made, right? Who for whom there is no chance of redemption, um, that they're just there. What is it that Jesus is preaching if not here is the way of redemption even for you now? Right. Um, so a lot of people in Christian history have talked about something like post-mortem evangelism. Like, does hell have, you know, um, C.S. Lewis has the, the famous book, The... Um, the great, great divorce, divorce. Yeah. which is is an allegory right but his allegory is about um people taking a bus a bus trip like a day trip from hell up to heaven and they can check it out um and right. see if they and they're welcome anytime you know the book of revelation says that the gates of heaven are never closed <laughs> Like they're open, they they right. are there. It also says that there are people who won't enter, who won't enter. Not that they can't, but people who won't enter, and the gates are always open. Yeah. Um, so for me, that gives a little bit of a. It's like, mm, maybe there's this this other picture happening that we're not quite seeing fully fleshed out because people are grasping at straws and thinking about like, how do we, how do we think about this stuff? Right. Um, you know, but even that, that image, even if it doesn't give us something like a picture of postmortem evangelism, it's comforting to me even to think of Jesus as having descended to hell. Um, you know, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 139. Uh, where, you know, the writer says, if I ascend up to the heavens, you're there, God. Of course you are, right? That's where God lives. That's, um, And if I make my bed in Sheol, and this is the closest Hebrew Bible equivalent to hell, like if I make my pl- bed among the dead, well, you're there too. <laughs> like, yeah. When we yeah. find ourselves, you know, I don't know what all of the like imagery, there's tons of imagery that we've talked about, about hell or destruction or death or eternal fire. And like, I don't know, you know, how to take any of that or whatever, but like whatever hells that we, we find ourselves in, it's like Christ has already been there before us. Yeah. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about atonement theory about like this is about God jumping into the deep end of human experience of of um you know being being the crucified and the rejected and the god forsaken like whatever the hell is that you find yourself in Christ has descended there and you find you know takes the teeth out of hell. <laughs> yeah. You think that even yeah. there, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I love, I love that verse. I love the, the windows that it opens. Um, I think there's something important to be said about it all. I think also maybe we, we may want to devote an entire episode to just 
alternative theories, like, like just trying to put some, here's what people believe. Here's some things that people believe. Um, I want to say first though, that this, um, this prospect of postmortem evangelism is probably where I am at this, at this point that there is opportunity after, um, for, for salvation, that there is opportunity after death not primarily for me the re- the reason i land at that is is not primarily concerned with um with people like us who were handed a picture of jesus and a, a narrative of the cross and all of these different things and we're given all of the you know for all its warts and scars was a pretty good image still like was was still a compelling god is love um even even when our even when our preachers and youth pastors and all of those didn't seem to follow up god is love with something that sounded like love they still they still at least started with god is love like um my cons my reason for arriving at this is that in order for god to truly be in order for justice to truly be done in order for free will to truly exist, that the options have to be laid out as clearly for everyone as they were for me. Um, that, to me, is the only way that justice can actually... Now, again, is it wishful thinking? I don't think so. I think it honestly comes m- less from wishful thinking and more from um, trying to eliminate the privileges of my own experience and my own intellect and my own access uh, and and saying in order for justice to truly exist, then the billions of people on the planet right now who will never hear this narrative will never even have an opportunity to respond um, to Christ will have to be given at least as clear a picture of him as I was given. Um, and then there's you know other things like age of accountability and other and age of intellect or whatever that are parts of this conversation for me too, that it's kind of like, there's nothing in the Bible that actually says, if you believe you got to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord in order to enter to heaven. Well, then no one who ever, every child who ever died before they were intellectually capable of, of actually believing anything like that would have to go to hell. Like there is no caveat for that actually in the Bible. There's caveats we created because that was too hard to bear. Um, But nothing in the scriptures actually indicate that that's true. So for me, a post-mortem, a like after dying in this life, having an opportunity to see Jesus for who he truly is. um, Now, this is not universalism. Uh, I don't have a problem with people who land in a more universalism kind of place where it's just like there is no choice. Every person will choose uh, every person will end up in heaven in the end, whether they want to or not. Um, that's not where I land. I, I, you know, some of the people I respect do believe that. Um, I hope they're right. I think that would be even better, you know, that the party is just like the great reveal of it all is God is like, yep, I love you no matter what. Anyways, um, I like that. I think it leaves some holes as far as justice is concerned, but this is a, a, a wider hope it is certainly a and and i'm not a universalist but i also but i do land in the place of saying who when they see jesus for who he truly is would deny him um now they might there 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 is reason to believe that some people might actually see jesus as clearly as i feel like i do and that i'll even get to see him more clearly after death and would say, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that. But I, but I also hold on to hope that, you know, as close as I get to universalism is everybody, when they see him for who he truly is, will repent of everything that is not heaven and, and would want to participate in whatever it is that that guy's doing. Whatever it is that this God is doing, I want in on that. If they were able to see it. So make sure you tune in next week, friends. We're going to talk about um, some 
other options. We'll talk about universalism a little bit. We'll talk about um, maybe give a little bit more time to the uh, the eternal conscious torment idea. Um, I, I think we could probably present all of the schools of thought in. I think you could put them in three or four kind of bubbles of yeah. of thinking. Venn diagram, you know, complicated four bubble Venn diagram. Um, and maybe we'll try to do something like that to explore a little bit more. Uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe and uh, buy our T-shirt. <laughs> we don't have a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>